There's just a wonderful presence of the Lord here today. Can you feel it? Am I the only person that can, that can feel that? You can feel it too. You and me, buddy, okay? <laughs> and I just believe that that presence is just blessing these children and anointing them and guiding them through life. I actually think there's been a fresh breeze of the Spirit recently over the last few weeks here at the church. And, um, you know, you might remember last week I mentioned I had a word of knowledge and I said, whoever it's for, just come and see me at the end and we'll pray for you. It was about healing. And I just spoke to the lady that we prayed for last Sunday after the service. She is feeling amazing, but hold on, we can't. She hasn't had the results yet back from the doctor to prove that she's healed. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest and let them confirm it. But I said to her, how are you feeling? She said, absolutely wonderful. So you can clap now if you want. It was absolutely wonderful. And, and also, again, during the worship, I got a word. We're not going to break the flow of the service, but just come and see me after the service. There's somebody here. You suffer from arthritis in your left knee, especially in your left knee, and you're beginning to get twinges of it in your right knee, but your left knee's the bad one. We're going to deal with that after the service. We're going to get Jesus, the divine chiropractor, to click everything into place, and you, you hobbled in, but you will skip out like a deer in Jesus' name. We'll pray for that later. I just, I just love what the Lord does. I love when we come and we say, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I just want you. And he says, if, you've just got, if you just want me, you'll get everything else you need as well. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, peace of mind, healing from your body, deliverance from addictions. Everything we need is found in Jesus. Can you say amen, church? How many of you have been enjoying our little series on the seven churches of Revelation? Anybody been enjoying it? I've been enjoying it. I haven't had a single message yet. I've sat in the front row and listened to all of them. I think this is the, big, the longest time I've went without preaching. It's the longest I've managed to go and kept, keep my mouth shut for that many weeks but that all changes today. We are doing the church of Thyatira, the church of Thyatira. So first of all, we're going to read the letter. It's a little bit harsh, and we'll find out why as we go on. We'll read the letter through. I want to give you some background, and then we'll go through it verse by verse. So first of all, let's read Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29, which is the letter to the church at Thyatira. And it says, it says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know the things you do. I have seen your love. Love's good, isn't it? Your faith. There's another good thing. Your service. Hey, if you want to be like these people, you can sign up to serve on a team here at Gateway anytime. Just go to the info desk after the service. Your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. This is good news, isn't it? Let's read on. 
But, everyone say but. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn from her immorality. Let's read on. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their, her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches the thoughts and the intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Next. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed her, this false teaching. Deeper truths, they call them. Depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over the nations. Let's read on. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I receive from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Right, that's kind of heavy-duty letter here, isn't it? Jezebels and idolatry and sexual immorality and eyes like fire and smashing things like pots. We're going to look at what this all means and how it is so relevant to us today. But first of all, I want to just show you the map that Dan showed us in week one of this message series. There's the seven churches of Revelation. There was a, a, a major highway that went from Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so that, the reason the churches are listed in that order is because that's the order that the highway went. Also, when the persecution by the Romans that is being prophesied in the book of Romans, uh, the book of uh, Revelation happened, that was the order in which the Romans in, uh, instituted the persecution and the emperor worship in those cities. So we have Thyatira here. And um, so Thyatira, now what you need to know is that just off, this is modern day Turkey, just off the coast, we have the Isle of Patmos. Now, the, when this book, the book of Revelation was written, it was the first book that the Apostle John wrote. John was the last surviving member 
of the original 12 disciples. Remember, Matthias replaced Jesus, but now all of the other 11 disciples were dead. The apostle Paul had been beheaded by Nero. Nero was emperor at the time. Um, the Roman authorities arrested John, according to the histories, to execute him. They threw him into a pot of burning oil. The Romans came up with all these weird executions. But anyway, they threw him into a pot of burning oil, and he came out okay. Now, you might think that's a bit hard to believe, and it's not actually in the Bible, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, and they came out okay too. But anyway, he came up, according to the histories, he came out okay, so they, did, they, they thought, let's just send him to Alcatraz. Patmos was the Alcatraz of the first century, the prison island of the first century. And while John is there praying, he begins to receive a series of visions, and Jesus tells him to write them down. They pass the manuscripts on to the boat keepers that go to and fro, and they take them to, the, uh, to Ephesus, and from there, copies of the book of Revelation are given to all seven of the churches. Now, after Nero dies, John is released from Patmos, and he goes back to Ephesus, and he lives in Ephesus. And he writes three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And there, he's about 80 years old. And then when he's really old, a couple of years before he dies, he gathers some of his disciples and he says, I want you to be scribes. I'm going to tell you some of the deeper conversations that Jesus had with us. And they record, as he dictates, John's gospel, which was the last one that he wrote. So that's the kind of background uh, to all of this. Now, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to jump into the letter again to Thyatira. And what we're going to see is some of, the, some of the illustrations that Jesus uses in these letters related to actual physical things that happened in the city. So, for instance, if Jesus was writing a letter to the city of Edmonton, he might say, you, you drill for lots of oil but you don't have the oil of the Spirit, or something like that. Or you're trying to win against the enemy, but you play as bad as the oilers do. You know, it might be something like that. Okay, so that's the kind of thing that he's saying. So let's read on. Let's go on. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Thyatira. The word angel, angelos, it, it simply means a messenger a messenger. Sometimes the word means a human messenger, and sometimes the word means a spiritual or a heavenly messenger. In English, the word angel, we always make it a heavenly messenger. But the word can also just mean a human messenger. And so, let me give you an example. I come from Scotland, where we call the groceries the messages. I don't know why, but your mother would say, I've got to go and get the messages. That's what we call it in Scotland. I don't know where it came from. So someone might say, be an angel and pick up the messages on the way home, right? That person is being an angel. They're a messenger, right? And so very often in the Bible, it's just translated messenger because it's very clear in the context that it's a human messenger, Joe sent Bob to go and tell Sally something. 
Bob was the messenger. He wasn't a, an angel coming out of heaven. He was a messenger. So in, the, in these letters, Bible scholars are like, is this an angel like up in heaven? How could you write a letter to an angel? Or is this the messenger of the church, the apostolic leader of the church, the bishop, the senior pastor, whatever? And so many people, many scholars believe that the angel of the church is like the apostolic leader or the senior leader of the church in that city. Write this letter to the senior leader of the church in Thyatira. This is the message. You'll see the word message come... Tell the messenger that this is the message he is supposed to be giving to the church. Okay? This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like polished bronze. Let me just talk about the polished bronze first of all. The city of Thyatira had lots of trade guilds in it. And especially they had people who made pottery, we'll talk about that in a minute, and people who made items out of bronze. And so Thyatira was a city of many furnaces. And by Jesus saying his feet are burnished bronze, the image is that all of the pagans and unbelievers in Thyatira might think they're in charge of the city, but the one whose feet stand over the city of furnaces. The one who rules over this city truly is the Son of God. And it says here, his eyes are like a flame of fire. You know, we've already been told in a previous letter, a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And for some reason or other in the Western world, we take everything absolutely literally. So whenever you look for images from the book of Revelation. This is what you get. Next, next slide. Look at that. That's not who I'm looking forward to seeing in heaven. I can, I can, I mean, every time he turns around, you need to duck the sword, you know. I mean, that's, that looks like a super villain or something like that. What's that? Is that a ring with all the What's that guy, that supervillain called? What's his name? Yeah, Thanos. It's like Thanos' ring. And that is not what this means at all. First of all, we need to understand that there are su such things as figures of speech. If I said that it was raining cats and dogs, you would all know what I mean. But if, we, if somebody 2,000 years from now in a different culture, in a different language heard that, they would be like, what, cats and dogs fell out of the sky? But we know it's a figure of speech. So having, having a two-edged sword coming out his mouth, we saw a, an image last week of what that sword looks like. Having a two, that simply means when he speaks, his words pierce to the heart. You will see that quite often in the Bible, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. When Jesus or the apostles are preaching, it said, and the people were pierced to the heart. I've experienced that. I remember being an unbeliever, sitting up the back row of a church, grumpily with my arms folded reluctantly, and the pastor was preaching the gospel, 
and something changed. The Holy Spirit came upon me. The words were no longer coming from the pastor. The words were coming from God. I sat there in that back pew, pierced to the heart by the living words of the living God. That's what he's saying, that his words are like a sharp two-edged sword. They pierce right to the heart. And eyes like a flaming fire doesn't mean that he's got firebolts jumping out his eyes. That is an ancient Near Eastern idiom. And it means to have piercing blue eyes. And blue for a reason in their culture. I'll show you. Go to the next image. Okay, there's a flame. If you turn that flame sideways, it's kind of eye-shaped. And as you can see, there is the orange of the flame, but there's also the blue of the flame. Now, this is a candle, this picture. They used oil lamps. And in the oil lamps they used, the orange was just a thin line and the blue was bigger. And so, if you had eyes like a flame of fire, that was a figure of speech that meant that person has piercing blue eyes. And the reason that they, that they emphasized blue eyes was because in the ancient Near East, green eyes and brown eyes were very common. Blue eyes were less common. And blue, you know when you die, when someone dies, the light goes out and you can see it happening. You know when they've died, the light goes out in their eye and their eyes go dark. So when you're alive, there's a light in your eye. And they saw blue eyes as the brightest light of all because it was like the sky. And so blue, piercing blue eyes, people in that culture regarded it as the eyes of a seer or the eyes of a prophet or eyes that can see right into your soul. Now, I can actually relate to that because I remember once when I was a young Christian in Scotland, there was a big conference. John Wimber of the Vineyard Movement had come over to put on this big conference. Uh, it was a prophetic conference, and they had a number of prophets with them, like Paul Cain, and John Paul Jackson was there too. And I was there with my brother, and there was thousands of people there, and we were sitting away back someplace watch, watching these prophets operate incredibly under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, revealing things to people they had never met. Anyway, after the break, we were out, my brother and I were out at the, in the foyer looking at like the resources table at books and cassette tapes and things like that. And just then, John Paul Jackson, uh, who if you know who he was, had piercing blue eyes, walks past and paused and looked at me right in the eyes and smiled and then walked on. And I said to my brother, whoa, he just looked right into my soul. <laughs> and my brother said, I know, I felt it too. And I'm like, There's, in the next session, I don't want him to publicly expose my sins. Is there anything I've not repented of yet? What did he see? Like, what did he see in there that I don't know? So, Jesus' words pierced to the heart and when Jesus gazes upon you, he searches the deepest recesses of your heart. He sees right into your soul. Let's read on. 
I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, your patience and endurance, and I see your constant improvement in all these things. Do you see how every one of these churches is unique? Remember when Spencer was talking to us, he was talking about a church where Jesus said, you are really good at discernment, but you're not very good at love. You've managed to get rid of all the false teaching, but you've forgotten your first love. This church here is the exact opposite. They've kept their love strong, but they're so loving, they're so kind, they're so tolerant, they're now tolerating things that they shouldn't be tolerating. You can go to one extreme or the other. He says, but I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, right? First of all, I don't think the woman's name is Jezebel because this is an allusion to the Old Testament. Last week, when in the letter last week, when Jesus was talking about the false teachers, he says, you have those who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Balaam was a false prophet from the Old Testament. Jezebel was one from the Old Testament. They're using these false prophets from the Old Testament as examples of what the false teachers in their church were doing. This woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, and what is she doing? She is leading my servants astray. How is she doing that? She teaches them to commit sexual sin, and to eat food offered to idols, immorality and idolatry. In other words, paganism brought into the church and mixed with Christianity, okay? Let's read on. Next, next one. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her in a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. You notice how Jesus is not happy about this, but he still is giving people a get-out clause. I don't want anything bad to happen. I want you to repent and get out of this bad situation. And it says here, I will strike her children dead. Probably her children means her disciples, the people that are following her. And actually, in Aramaic, the word, it doesn't actually say strike dead. It says cut off, like cutting a branch off. Remember, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if a branch remains in Jesus, it will bear fruit. But if it doesn't bear fruit, the branch will be cut off. It will no longer be part of the body of Christ. And so, one of the things I want you to see here is Jesus is not a wimp. Do you see this? We have an image of Jesus in which he's very gentle and he holds his little skirt up and he dances through the daisies, and then he will chill with his hippie bros and say, chill, dude, it's all cool with God. You know, that's not what Jesus is like. Look, 
maybe you come to this church and maybe you see that people are full of joy and they're full of happiness and they're excited and we're clapping and we're laughing. And maybe that might make you think that it's all not very serious. This is deadly serious. Salvation and apostasy are serious matters. We're not full of joy because we're not taking things seriously and we're just playing at church. We're full of joy because we were once totally lost and now we've been found. We were once blind and now we see. We were once going to hell and now we're going to heaven. That's why we're full of joy. Not because it's frivolous, but because it's eternally serious. This is the most important thing. Jesus is not a whim. This is a serious matter. Playing about with people's eternal salvation is a serious matter. Now, I know we don't do that a lot here. We don't rant about, on about false teaching and all of that kind of stuff very much here. We want to emphasize God's grace. We don't want to go down the path of legalism. We don't want to have some kind of dry, white knuckle faith where you're, you're doing everything in your own power. We want to enjoy the grace of God and the love of God, and God does accept us just the way we are, and all of that is true. But sometimes a church needs a course correction. And the church at Thyatira had gone so loving, they were mushy now. They were tolerating things that were intolerable. And they needed a course correction to come back to where they should be. Let's go on. Then all the churches will know that I am the one. This is the eyes like a flaming fire. I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. His eyes burn right to the core of your soul. He sees every thought and every intention and will give to each one according to what they deserve. Um, let's, let's just look at, let's go on. I've got another slide here. It's Second John. This has already been quoted so far. But here John is warning again about false teaching. And he says this, if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, you should all just be good friends anyway and be lovey-dovey. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. Don't invite that person into your home or give them any kind of encouragement. There's a lot of false prophets and false teachers out there. They don't need any encouragement, okay? This is a kind of serious matter to God. It comes up again and again. Yes, it's important to keep learning. It's important to keep growing. It's important to have an open mind that maybe you believe some things which aren't actually biblical, and maybe you've got more to learn. Keep an open mind. Keep an open heart, but always hold fast to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and anyone that tries to talk you out of that reject it. Don't receive it. That's what he's saying. Now, if you think Jesus has been a bit harsh here about throwing people on a bed of suffering and cutting their kids off and all of that kind of stuff, it's, that's because it's hard for us to picture 
what was going on in that church because it was 2,000 years ago. So let me give you two quick examples from our generation. I'm going to have a look at it. We're going to have a look at two, I'm not going to name names because who these people are, it doesn't matter. If you know, you might know who they are, but if you don't, that doesn't matter. What matters is the lesson. So let's have a look, first of all. I want to tell you a story about the New Age Gnostic Jezebel, who lives in California, right? So there's this woman in California, and she's like a New Age guru. And she's more than just a guru. She claims to be a prophetess. She is a channeler. She channels the spirit of an ancient uh, an ancient god from the lost continent of Atlantis, apparently. Now, now and again, to sound Christian, she'll channel Jesus too. But the Jesus that she channels doesn't sound anything like the Jesus of the Bible. And on top of that, he's called Jesus Ben Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph. That ain't my Jesus. My Jesus is the son of Mary. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the son of David, but he was never the biological son of Joseph, okay? This is a different, she has a different Jesus. She has another spirit, and she has another gospel. But at first, when you hear her teaching, it sounds so much kinder and loving and much more inclusive than Christianity. Oh, it's so sweet. But then when you get into her teachings, you find out that it's the ancient Gnostic writings of the false prophets that she teaches from. To make it look a little bit more Christian, she calls her disciples Christed ones. She's even got a theologian on staff, a guy who used to be the principal of a Catholic seminary, and he used to be a theological advisor to the Pope, until he was accused of abusing little boys, he fled the country, joined her in California, and became her Gnostic theologian. It is a mockery of Christianity. Now, here's the thing. They have mock communion services. They have communion services where they drink so much wine that they are totally drunk, so drunk that they are lying about the floor vomiting. Sexual assaults are rampant during their communion services, which often degenerate into orgies. People bring their children to those communion services. They also have a mock confession of sins, where during the communion service, while they're all drunk, one at a time they will say the worst thing that they've ever done but they're not repenting of it. They all laugh at it. You know the theologian guy I told you about? At one of their communion services, he publicly admitted to sexually abusing altar boys while the whole drunken con congregation roared with laughter. Do you think Jesus is angry at that blasphemy? I think he is. Now you might say, okay, but that's outside of the church. That's a cull outside the church. This woman was right in the church with all this stuff. Let me tell you about another one, the Lutheran progressive Jezebel. By the way, I could tell you a million stories about men, but this story, these two are about a woman because the story in the Bible is about a woman. 
I mean, there's a lot of bad dudes out there, just to be clear, okay? Cult leaders and whatnot, right? Lutheran, progressive Lutheran. Our church just loves everybody. Everyone's welcome. That sounds good. And then you find out what her message actually is. Nobody needs to repent of sin. Sinchmen, forget it. There's no such thing as sin. Her doctrine is called shameless sex. You can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, as long as it's consensual. It's not a sin. You don't have to repent. You can do anything you want and be part of that church. Shameless sex. Oh, by the way, it's okay to watch porn, according to her, as long as it's ethically sourced porn, where the sex workers are paid a living wage. How you would know that when you're going through the internet, I have no idea. But there you go. You know how some fundamentalist churches, um, I know it's a silly thing, but you know, I've never met one, but you hear stories of these fundamentalist churches where in the youth group, they all wear purity rings. You know that thing? It's like, I'm going to stay a virgin till I'm married, and I'm going to wear a wedding ring to prove it. She got everyone who follows her on the internet, if you've got a purity ring, send it in to me. Do you remember the Israelites melted down their golden earrings and turned it into a golden calf and worshipped it? Remember that? She melted down all these purity rings, got it made into a giant woman's vagina, and put it on the altar of their church, facing the congregation as they worship. Do you think Jesus might be angry at that stuff? Do you think he might smash that place like a pot with a rod of iron? (laughs) I think so. Now that you've got those two modern-day examples in your mind, now you can see why Jesus was so upset about the church of Thyatira. They were tolerating things that were intolerable. Now, hey, church, we don't want to become like demon conscious and heresy. I mean, there's loads of heresy hunters out there. I mean, there's loads of websites with lists of false teachers out there. I am on at least six of them that I've found. In fact, the last one I found, it was false apostles and prophets of the new apostolic reformation. And it was all in alphabetical order. And I thought, I wonder if I'm on this one. So I went down to T, Trench, Martin, there I was. You know who was below me? Trump, Donald. (laughs) I was quite pleased. I'm saying to my family, I'm on the internet right next to Donald Trump. Look, have a look at that. (laughs) I mean, like there's people that just, they're, they're obsessed with it. No, don't be obsessed with demons and with false teaching and with other people's sins. Be caught up with the Lord, but never give an inch to this stuff because it will take you further than you intended to go, and it will keep you longer than you intended to stay. Come back to the heart of worship, because it's all about Jesus. Okay, let's look, let's look on. Here's Matthew's gospel. Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, these people these people are not even saved. I hope you realize that. You can be brought up in church and not be saved. You can go to Bible college and not be saved. 
you can have the title reverend in front of your name and be as lost as a goose in a blizzard. Totally lost. Not saved. Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did lots of wonderful things and had a huge social media account and we did all kinds of great things in your name. And I will say, I never knew you. Not I knew you once and you fell away. I never knew you. You were never born again. You were never part of my family. You are a deceiver. Depart from me, you who break God's laws. That's quite sobering. How do you know that someone has been truly saved? Not because they're putting on a good act on the outside, but because their heart has been changed. When your heart's been changed, you no longer want to sin. Hey, we still do sin. I sin now and again. Anybody out there in the same boat as me? But I don't want to. It grieves my heart if I sin. Because I know it grieves the Holy Spirit. Because like it says in Ezekiel, let's look at this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. People who are genuinely saved, their heart has been changed. We're still imperfect, but our heart sings and longs to be like Jesus. And we cannot live in pagan idolatry or sexual immorality and be cool about it. Something within us grieves and we long to be forgiven and to be restored to the Lord once again. Let's just look at the last part of this uh, revelation. He's, uh, he says, to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over the nations, and they will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Thyatira had lots of pottery businesses in it, and, what, and people were used to pots being smashed all the time, because when pots didn't come out, properly, when they had a flaw in them, when they were not suitable for purpose, the, pot, the, the pottery owner would put them all in the corner and would smash them up with an iron uh, rod, and they would just be used for um, mosaics, for, for be making mosaics and things like that. And what this is saying is, Everything, you know, when Jesus comes back and we rule and reign with him, everything that's imperfect, everything that is not fit for purpose will be removed and only the vessels of the Lord, the vessels unto honor shall be left. And then he says, and I will also give them the morning star. Jesus is going to give you the morning star. Now, don't you want to know what the morning star is? if he's going to give it to you. Prophetic ministry is like a treasure hunt. It drives me mad at times. I'm like, Lord, why can't you just tell me in plain language? You know, and the Lord gives you a dream or a prophetic word, and you know it means something, but you don't, and you've got to solve the clue 
And that takes you to the next prophetic word, and it solves the clue. And eventually you arrive at where the Lord wants you to, could you not have told me that in the first place? And God's not, no, I, I enjoy the game, God is saying. So I'm going to give you the morning star. Here's a little clue. What is the morning star? You have to flick through the whole book of Revelation till you get to the end. And at the end, Jesus says, I am the morning star. I will give you myself. Remember in another letter, he said, I will give you the hidden manna. He is the bread of life that came down from heaven. Everything that Jesus gives us is himself. And that is all we need. So anyone with ears must listen to what this, to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Come on, church, let's stand. I want you to lead us in a prayer. We're going to put up some bullet, uh, can you put up these bullet points? These are the things that we want to just pray for the Lord to do them in our lives. Read these things out with me. You ready? Let's go. Be victorious over sin and false teaching. Obey Jesus in everything. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Then you can have assurance that you won't go astray and you will reign with Jesus forever. Isn't that good news? Let's lift up our, lift up our hands, close our eyes, open our hearts, and let's say this together. Father God, may your Holy Spirit illuminate my life, lead and guide me down the right path, away from the wrong path. Give me discernment and victory over sin. I put my faith in you and I ask you, transform me into the person you want me to be. I believe it. I receive it. And in Jesus' name, I will achieve it. And all God's people said, come on, give God a shout in the house.